I'm Delaney Reston, a physician and filmmaker, and this is the Screenagers podcast about forging productive conversations with our kids regarding screen time. With school starting up, I thought it was a really good time to talk about sleep. The recommendations for sleep by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is between 9 to 12 hours for kids and between 8 to 10 hours for teens. Researchers at the University of Michigan have been doing surveys of high school students for many years, and they found that in 1991, roughly 26% of high schoolers said that they got less than seven hours of sleep on most nights. And with the most recent data in 2015, that number went up to 41%. And this rise was really steep between 2012 and 2015. Some association with screen time? Yep. Of course there are other culprits, such as early school start times, homework, sports, and other things. What's the latest science around youth and sleep? And what tips can we get about parenting sleep time, whether it's COVID or after? Today I talk with researchers, parents, and a teen. So let's get started. My name is Dr. Judy Owens. I'm the Director of Sleep Medicine at Boston Children's Hospital, Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School. And I've also done research um, looking at the implications of insufficient sleep in teens. A population that is probably the most sleep-deprived group of individuals that the world has ever seen. So what are the risks of all these young people being sleep-deprived? Dr. Owens studied one impact by looking at doctors and training. We took a group of residents, um, medical trainees. We studied a number of different outcomes under conditions which we called baseline conditions, so their usual sleep amounts. And we also looked at them uh, after they were on call in the hospital. On call. I remember those days well in my training in medicine. Arriving at the hospital at 6 a.m. and not leaving till 2 or 3 the next day. And getting just a few hours of sleep during the night, which was pretty much always interrupted. And the third condition was that we gave them enough vodka to raise their blood alcohol levels to moderately intoxicated with using a breathalyzer measure. Of course, they gave the vodka to the residents on days they weren't working. Outcomes that we looked at was performance on a driving simulator. And so what we found was that the residents were just as or more impaired after they were on call in the hospital as they were um, when they were moderately intoxicated. And that is very alarming because the number one cause of mortality in the adolescent population in the United States is accidental injuries, including car accidents. Cognitive functions that are most affected by deficient sleep are number one, executive functions. Things like decision-making, being able to observe and reflect on and change your behavior. The other part of the brain that's instrumental in this is the striatum, which is kind of the reward 
related part of the brain. And so we know from experimental studies that people who are sleep deprived take greater risks because they perceive less in the way of consequences. Dr. Owens did another study looking at eighth graders to see the link between sleep deficiency and worrisome risky behaviors. Almost half of eighth graders reported less than seven hours of sleep. They found that teens who were sleep deprived had significantly increased chances of doing things like substance use, like alcohol use, like inappropriate sexual activity, uh, like aggressive behavior. Thinking about risky behavior made me think about a conversation I had not long ago with parents of a 12-year-old daughter, and we were talking about sleep time and screens. With the kids' phones, you know, what's the right time to cut them off, whether it's a school night or even a weekend night? Um, Because I think we had one difference of opinion on weekends where I was being more lax about like, you know, they can sleep in late so they can use their phone late. I'm kind of like nothing good happens after 11. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, we we want them to give up their phone at a reasonable hour so that they get a good night's sleep. And I'm thinking about the issues around the blue light from the screens affecting sleep. And so in my mind, if it's a weekend, it doesn't really matter because they're going to sleep in. You know, where Melissa was coming from was we have a daughter and you know, we don't really know what site she's going to or things like that. And, and there's kind the of a def- safety piece yes, to it. Yes. And the defenses are down at night, you know, and they can be even more vulnerable at night. And so whether it's a weekday or a weekend, to me, it's the same. Being tired and doing potentially regrettable actions is a real concern. Meanwhile, there are many other short-term consequences from sleep deprivation, But what about the long-term consequences to the brain? The fact that the adolescent brain is going through a very active phase of laying down new neuronal tracts and pruning away others? The brain undergoes a new wave of restructuring during adolescence. That's Dr. Adriana Galvin, professor of psychology at UCLA, whose expertise is in adolescent brain development. The brain needs to be well connected in order to function efficiently and quickly. And so um, as kids become adolescents, become young adults, one of the major developmental milestones that happens is this increased brain connectivity. Dr. Galvin and her team had teens aged 14 to 18 wear watches that measured their sleep patterns for two weeks. So what we did is we measured the kids who had more consistent sleep times both on the weekends and during the weekday, and compared them to those who had more inconsistent sleep. Dr. Galvin uses special types of imaging studies to look at how different parts of the brain are connecting. And those who had more consistent sleep had better brain connectivity than those who didn't, which would translate into, in our data, they had less impulsive behavior, they were better at learning, and they had less risk-taking behavior than the kids who had less consistent sleep. Differences in brain wiring? That's concerning. Meanwhile, not long ago, I first learned about these proteins in the brain that are toxins, and it appears that sleep is key to get rid of them. Several years ago, there was evidence discovered of what's called the glymphatic system in the brain. 
That's Dr. Judy Owens again. And essentially, from a very simplistic standpoint, it's the brain's process of eliminating toxins that have accumulated during the day that only happens during sleep. It doesn't happen during rest or meditation or any of those other sleep substitutes that we sometimes resort to. Um, and, and really underscores the fact that there is no substitute for sleep in human beings. I think about Alzheimer's disease and that people have abnormal plaques of protein in their brain called amyloid plaques. One of the things that has emerged in our understanding of deficient sleep is it may have an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. Let's get to what we can do to promote healthy sleep time. Dr. Owens sees in her clinic lots of kids and teens who are dealing with sleep issues. What has resonated when you talk to kids and teens that seems to resonate? I try to help them tie in the consequences of not getting enough sleep, tie in their mood, help tie in their uh, academics, you know, what, whatever is sort of relevant to them, that helps with some kids. And here's the essential advice. Taking the devices out of the bedroom is absolutely critical. We have data from teens themselves saying that 36% of them report waking up at least once to check their phone, let alone video games and all sorts of other things. Right it's got to go out of the bedroom and whether that gets, you know, locked up at a certain time or the teen goes into their parent's room and puts it in a charger or, you know, what, whatever works for the family. I've been talking this summer with so many kids and teens who, because of COVID, have obviously been on screens a lot. And so many of them tell me that they're on late at night. And when I ask them, you know, do they want help in getting to bed earlier and having their screens away, you'd be surprised how many of them say yes. I recently spoke with Connor, who lives in Tennessee, and will be starting eighth grade in the fall. What do you think is going to be the rule when you go back to school? Do you think that's going to be sell um, your phone and computers out of the bedroom or not necessarily? So, like, my parents are going to start taking my phone again when school starts back up. Mm-hmm. Because that's like one of the rules they have um, implemented. And what do you have other screens in your bedroom? Um, I only have a TV that's connected to my Xbox, but they have like the internet of the whole house to shut off at a certain time. And when you go back to school and they have the phone out of the bedroom at night, do you think that's a good rule or not? I feel like personally that you shouldn't really have access to like being able to talk to people at like midnight like on a school night because like some kids like at my school who stay up that late they have a hard time like focusing in class there's so many ways that screens can interrupt sleep it is the five billion things that are available and happening and is like candy on screens right so you can keep watching the TikToks. Absolutely. As well as your friend is having a hard time and you're a loving person and you want to respond to them. Hundreds of things. 
What shocks me is that health professionals have not done a national campaign around this. And I'm wondering, in this sleep expert world that you live in, are you hearing much clamoring that we should be doing much more to get devices out of the bedroom during sleep time? Or am I alone here? (laughs) Help me out, Judy. (laughs) Uh, No, no. I I think you're absolutely 100% right. You know, I've often said we need a movement like Mothers Against Drunk Driving to kind of change the culture and make it unacceptable to do some of these things around sleep. So why hasn't such a movement started? We haven't really until fairly recently seen this as a health issue. I hope that we get there because I think we do need the strong message that this is counterproductive to your teen's cognitive health, their physical health, their mental health. We need to empower parents to do this. You know, like if you had some control over things, would you allow your your teen to eat nothing but french fries all day long? You know, would you let them get behind a wheel knowing that they had consumed several beers? No. I mean, there are there are hard stops in things that we do as parents, as challenging as that might be. And it can be so challenging, that's for sure. Even if you don't have any set rules around devices and sleep time, having discussions about the science of sleep and the fact that the brain is literally still developing into the early 20s is so important. You never know at what point your kid is going to say, you know, I really want to try to change things. Let me share a few more tips that I included in my blog this week. My blog is called Tech Talk Tuesdays, and I've been writing it weekly for nearly five years. So regarding sleep, one idea is that maybe it's not every night that devices come out of the bedroom. Maybe they keep them in their room on weekend nights. So what's a compromise that could work? Also, try to identify a consistent place phones and other portable devices are kept during the night. Our daughter puts her phone in our bedroom. Another thing is, as a parent, can you also commit to having your phone out of the bedroom, maybe some nights? Another key thing is to consider having all tech time off during the school week at a specific time. And if your child says, well, they need it later to be able to do homework, let them know that it's their responsibility to get the work done before that decided time. If you stay firm and loving, over time they will adjust to get the work done before tech goes off. I know this can be really hard as a parent because we've been so ingrained that schoolwork comes before anything else. Yet the reality is there is almost always a way that the work could have gotten done earlier. And yes, of course, at times you will make exceptions. That's what parents do at times. Another tip is what Judy Owens tells the kids she sees in her clinic regarding the snooze button. She tells them not to use it, but instead to get up right away when the alarm clock goes off. And this is because research shows that actual sleep is much more beneficial than the pseudo-sleep that happens during that snoozing time. She also says get up and open the shades right away because the light helps turn off melatonin and helps you feel awake. 
Finally, I want to say that a lot of parents tell me that it's really hard to have any rules around screen time at bedtime because they go to sleep before their kids. In fact, just yesterday in my clinic, I saw a 15-year-old patient and his mother, and we had that very discussion. He shared with me that he really did want to get more sleep, and we ended up talking about how they could work together to make this happen, not mom versus son, but really being on the same team. And this is what it's all about, trying to work together in this complicated screen revolution. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And at ScreenagersMovie.com, you'll find the show notes, other episodes, how you can see Screenagers and Screenagers Next Chapter with your kids right now, and how you can get my blog, Tech Talk Tuesdays. Please subscribe and rate this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This is truly a labor of love, and we so very much appreciate your support. A huge thank you to Drs. Judy Owens and Adriana Galvin, as well as the parents I spoke with and the wonderful teen Connor. Thanks to Lisa Tab, my co-producer. I'm Delaney Rustin, producer and editor of the Screenagers podcast, and I really look forward to being with you next time. <laughs>